The Startup to Scale-Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. My uh, special guest today is John Gording. John is the CEO at WorkVivo, the employee social communication and collaboration platform that he co-founded in 2017 to create an engaging virtual workplace and to uh, replace the rather outdated intranet. So WorkVivo, essentially, it's a new breed of employee engagement platform, building uh, natural and meaningful bonds between teams, helping companies to uh, engage their employees in ways that traditional tools simply can't do effectively. They're on a bit of a tear. They've been growing at 200% per annum, over half a million users across 80 plus countries. And customer retention is a fabulous 100%, which I'll be interested to prove on a little later. Our work Vivo are backed by the Zoom founder, Eric Yuan, and also the VCs Frontline and Tiger Global. And they all clearly love work Vivo's mission to elevate everyone's workplace uh, experience. So, uh, John, a very warm welcome to uh, this week's show. Great. Thank you very much, Gary. Delighted to be on. To kick things off, tell me a little about your background. When and why did you decide to launch WorkVivo? Yeah, so it's probably an unorthodox route, Gary. I think when you when you chat to most founders, I think the, the formula is normally, you know, I had this burning idea for years. I was looking for the opportunity to start a company and, and execute on it. That wasn't the case with WorkVivo. My co-founder, Joe Lennon and myself, we knew each other. We'd worked together. We had a lot of respect for, you know, what we strengths that we brought to the table, very different strengths we brought to the table. And we decided to start the company before we had any idea what we were going to build, which is um, which is not the normal route that people take, right? So so we agreed we'd start the company. We knew certain things, right? We knew we were going to build a software product. That, that was our background, that we'd come from a HR software background. So we knew we'd build a software product, a SaaS product. It was probably going to be in the people, organizational space, kind of wider HR space. We committed to building something. And then we just started looking at the market, looking at what we were interested in, trying to look for a problem that we could help solve, essentially, right? And we we zoned in on employee engagement. So so the first kind of month, six weeks were interesting. You know, you're going to work not knowing what you're going to build, right? But you're committed to building something. But we started zoning in on employee engagement. And as we started talking about it, we realized both of us were very passionate about it. And we were passionate about employee engagement for a number of reasons. One is it's not something that's helped organizations only it helps employees as well so if you've an engaged organization it becomes a great place to work it becomes a great place for a colleague for an employee to be it's a great result for the organization as well because you know good things happen good things happen in terms of everything about what the company is trying to achieve success follows engagement but for me i was lucky enough as well in my career to work in organizations that had really high engagement that had a lot of 
kind of commonality if you look at them in terms of it always felt like we were on a bigger mission. It always felt like I belonged to part of something bigger. And it never felt like work. And I feel very fortunate in that regard. And it's something that we thought, you know, how can we how can we help bring that into the workplace? How can we build a software platform or technology that has that objective in terms of engagement, but then the component parts of engagement. So the journey was interesting in terms of, okay, let's let's try and build something. And then we were looking at, okay, what are the things that make a difference, right? What are the things that make a difference in terms of engagement? And how can you connect people to the greater purpose of the organization, to the values of the organization, what the organization is about? That is a pillar we wanted to build in. And there were, there were other pillars like recognition. How do you build a culture of recognition in an organization? That became a pillar. How do you build community and belonging, right? Because in every organization, there are natural communities. And the more you can facilitate those communities, the more belonging you end up with in the organization. And that's something organizations are really struggling with at the moment, right? But that became a pillar. Uh, communication itself became a pillar. How do you supercharge the communication in an organization? And I think we all know, you, if you've got a sense of ownership of a company, you're much more likely to be engaged. And, and a sense of ownership comes from things like feeling informed. Like feeling informed is one of the biggest drivers of a sense of ownership of a company. And then how do you measure the engagement? So literally, we started with those objectives. And we just started like whiteboarding and designing and what fell out, fell out of the design process was an employee communication platform, but it's been very deliberately designed around those things that I mentioned for engagement. So, so an unusual, un- unorthodox kind of way to start a, a company, Gary. That was our journey. And your background in CS and your hundred percent customer retention track record. I'm I'm intrigued by those two things and I assume there's a link between the two. So how has your background in CS really shaped your go-to-market strategy? I suppose founders come from many different backgrounds, right? Joe, my co-founder, described him as a, a once-in-a-generation technology guy, but he's been a tech geek all his life, right? For me, I come from an engineering background. When I jumped into the world of work, I started my career really with a company called EMC and EMC is now Dell EMC, incredible company, incredible company. And as an engineer, I ended up gravitating into the tech support uh, arena with EMC. And I ended up spending the best part of 13 years in the wider support organization in various roles. Ultimately, I suppose I was, I was leading the remote support organization for EMC. But EMC had an incredible approach to customer service. And it was all about minutes equals millions. It was all about responsibility. It was all about doing whatever it took to look after customers. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved, I suppose, the mission to look after customers. I loved the validation you get from happy customers as well. It's a lovely kind of virtuous circle where... If you're working in an organization that's doing the right things for customers, you get real positive energy coming back from customers. And I think that fuels further growth and it fuels you know, wanting to do more of the right thing. And it fuels great ideas in, in the product. 
but it just becomes a very enjoyable place to work. So it's not like for, I think it's almost like you can choose to try and make customer experience a differentiator and, and do it for kind of commercial business growth reasons. But I think there's just a purer reason. It's just much more enjoyable. A few happy customers, the energy that you get back from those customers drives you on. And I love that. I agree. That makes a lot of sense. I know something else that you obsess over is speed and speed in terms of execution and delivery. And you've tried to get that integrated throughout the whole culture of the organization. So how have you introduced this philosophy, this culture of speed? How do you actually make it work? First of all, I, I think it is like it's hugely important, right? If you don't if you don't move quickly, then your competitors will, right? And I think there are kind of norms that exist around, you know, a quarterly approach to goals and let's plan this over two or three quarters. And sometimes I just, I struggle to understand it because you end up doing something or planning to do something over two or three quarters that if you put your mind to it, you'd have done in the next two weeks. And a lot of it is about just challenging what can be done in what seems like an unrealistic period of time. But when you put your mind to it, it ends up being done. And it's not about setting like unrealistic goals. It's just about challenging, you know, what can become the norm of almost like when a company becomes bigger, you get into this kind of corporate planning world and it just slows things down. And we've got the greatest kick out of in our first year in business, you know, when we had like four or five employees and you end up beating organizations that have like 100,000 employees and for big corporate deals. And it's just amazing. And, and you, you, you end up like out preparing them, moving faster than them, doing a better job than them. And it's just with, with a small number of people. Now, obviously, we've, we've grown a lot since then. But it's the, it's the same culture that I think is so hard to, for bigger companies to, to kind of hold on to that and something we're very conscious of as we grow you know we're working very hard to protect that culture of just of speed at all costs i see it where you know people look at things and and naturally plan for yeah that's something we can get done by the end of the year and sometimes if it's look hey what about we have to, if we we've a real shot at this opportunity if we get it done for next monday it recalibrates your thinking around it and you end up figuring out how to make something possible and how to get it done in what would seem like what initially seems an unrealistic time frame. And I think that's what just makes a difference, right? It's a very competitive world. And I think you have to, that's the way you have to operate. And a lot of other startups kind of talk about speed of execution, but they really don't walk the talk. So I'm, I'm wondering, have you introduced anything in terms of either the way you test for speed with the people you hire or specific processes you've introduced or agile ways of thinking and executing that means you can walk the talk whereas some of your peers, to be candid with you, do not? I think a lot, a lot of it, areas is a culture and it's a culture of people coming into the company, just seeing how we operate and seeing what results we deliver in a really short space of time. And that calibrates everything and that kind of sets the expectations about how we approach it. I, re I remember one example, we were 
competing for a huge opportunity very early on. And it was in California. We were doing our thing, doing our demos. The potential customer loved the product, but they highlighted a couple of gaps. But it was like 90% really, really good, really positive. And this was on a like a Thursday morning in California. And on the Friday morning, I was back after the demo. I went to the airport with my colleagues. We flew back to Dublin, traveled back to Cork. And we traveled back to Cork and we went straight to the office and we recorded a video saying, hey guys, and we sent it to the team that we had met previously five and a half thousand miles away. And we said, guys, it was great to meet you. We're back in Ireland. Thanks for the time. Great feedback. By the way, the four things that you highlighted yesterday that you'd love us to have in the product. Number one, good news is we've worked on that overnight. It's now there. You'll notice it in the product if you try it. Number two, we're working on that. It'll be ready later today. Number three, we're going to work on that over the weekend. We'll have it next next Wednesday, Thursday kind of thing. It was that speed of, of response. We ended up winning that opportunity, but that customer no customer thankfully since i've been a great customer i think they really appreciated that that response and we could have looked at those things and said yeah you know there are things we'll plan and we'll get done over the next period of time or sometimes you just have to grab the bull by the horns get it done and and you know get it done properly obviously but you have to you're probably familiar with the you know the two pizza rule right there's sometimes like four or five people can get project done infinitely faster and infinitely more effectively and and come up with a better product more effectively than a team of 20, 30, 40 engineers where a lot of time gets wasted and people aren't clear on their responsibilities, whereas smaller team, just everybody's clear on their responsibilities, everybody knows what needs to be done and you just get on with it. And where does the pizza come in? Is the pizza itself important? There's a two pizza rule. I, I don't know who came up with it, but the rule is never have a project team bigger than can be fed with two pizzas. So if you have a project team and you can't feed them with two pizzas, then the team is too big. <laughs> okay. Obviously, I have to switch from lasagna to pizza so I can measure there you productivity. <laughs> okay. Switching from speed to creativity so i know you obsess as well about creativity and diversity and thinking how have you brought that into your culture and how do you shall we say test for that in terms of the people you're hiring the talent you're bringing in so firstly yeah i love creativity i love it we live in a tech world but for me creativity is one of the key differentiators i think it's it's going to it's going to become more and more valuable. And I think people from creative backgrounds like arts, humanities are going to become more valuable in tech companies as well, because it's not just about engineers and engineering and software and code. And it's about ideas. It's about visuals. It's about just looking at things differently. You know, we love competing with the big corporations, right? Because that's where you can inject a bit of creativity that differentiates yourself and for me, it's how do you attract creative people? I think we are, we're always on the lookout for creative people. Like some people are just creative, right? They come from a creative background and that's easy. And then other times it's not obvious, right? It might be, might be an engineering, somebody from a technical background. But I think in those instances, you try and create an environment where 
I think we all have creativity, right? And I think you try and create an environment where creativity can flourish, right? So it's like safe environment. It's the culture has to be right. You have to have diverse backgrounds. You have to have people who think differently. And for me, doing that in a deliberate way, I think anybody in our company would know it's very clear that we value creativity. And I think, you know, that what you value, I think when it's clear that you value something, then it becomes something that develops within the company, right? And um, and for me, creativity is one that I just hold dear. I think it's something that it's undervalued in terms of what it can do for a tech company. And you touched upon diversity a few moments ago, diversity of thinking. So are you doing anything explicitly, proactively to bring in more diversity of thought, more diversity of background into WorkVivo? We're not a huge company, but we've we've actually a very strong diversity and inclusion team. There's like almost 20% of the company got involved in the whole diversity and inclusion campaigns as well. And everybody supports it. But it's we do actively look for people from different backgrounds obviously you know with the skill set with skill set that we're looking for but i think for me it's the more we can have people and we're in the digital world no right but it's people connecting in from different locations having different backgrounds coming from different being in different geographical locations coming from different cultural backgrounds coming from different experiences as well so the companies they've worked in we've people we've a qualified pharmacist who came into us as a project manager we've somebody from a social work background who came into us in a sales role we've people from we've people that have just if you looked at their resumes or cvs you'd say no they're not a natural fit for this position but they're brilliant in those positions because they're just bringing a kind of different background and for me it's what you do in your life, what you do in your academic background, the experience you gain working in different companies, whatever role you take in those companies, it's all really just experience that it doesn't mean you need to stay in that type of role. It shows that you've got an ability to do a certain job. It shows you've got an ability to learn, you know, where in a, in a role like the social worker example, that person has just built an, an incredible strength in dealing with people and dealing with situations. And and that strength is something that I think, you know, they're, they're bringing into a completely different experience now. You know, it's like the virtual circle we spoke about earlier, where I think the more you do it and the more you see success with it, I think you're naturally just more open-minded to it then. So if you think about it the other way as well, Gary, if you think about creativity and what doesn't, help creativity, right? If you've got uniformity of thought, uniformity of experience, if everybody is in the office, and this is where I think even everybody working remotely is helpful. If everybody is working in the office and if somebody is coming to the same office every day and you expect creativity to, you know, happen, right? I think what helps creativity is different experiences. Like our, our, our brains need to be stimulated and our brains are stimulated by different experiences. And it's like meeting different people, encountering different cultures, different thoughts of you. And the more you can mix it up, the better in my in my view. So you actually think there's an argument for remote working 
improving creativity and diversity of thought by kind of breaking some of those old um, issues with groupthink and so on? I do, but, well, a couple of things I'd say. One, I think remote working allows you the flexibility to hire people people from different cultures and different geographical locations and different experiences easier. So I think that's great. Our head of marketing is a guy from Israel based in Barcelona, and he's just brings a completely different train of thought to things, and, and, it's, and it's super. But I do think if the stimulation that we all need, I don't think you're going to get that from 100% remote. Right? I think we need to interact. We need to, even the act of jumping in the car and driving to the office and encountering different things on your journey, right, and noticing things and seeing whatever, it could be a billboard or any, these are things when we're traveling, right? I always find when I'm traveling, I'm full of ideas when I'm traveling because I see things and I think about things and it sparks something, it sparks an idea. And I I think all of our brains work in that way. So remote offers you the real flexibility in, in terms of building a diverse team. But I think that diverse team needs to have stimulation and that doesn't come from just 100% remote. So, and I think it's just being being conscious and deliberate about that. Understood. I'm also intrigued by the success you've had in the States. So most European SaaS startups build a, a local market initially, and after a few years, they look to expand into the States. You went after U.S. customers almost from the get-go. 80% of your customer base is in the States. Walk me through that. How have you been so successful on the other side of the pond? Yeah, thankfully. it's The, the U.S. has gone really well for us. A few things, I suppose. One, we're probably in the fortunate position where we're based in that a lot of really successful U.S. corporations have located themselves in Ireland in recent decades, right? So you do end up with access to those organizations probably a little bit easier than elsewhere. And when we were starting out, we did get access to some really impressive U.S. organizations that had established a European base in Ireland. And through those European bases, we were invited to meet with, you know, corporate HQ and and we ended up, you know, winning customers in that way. And then I think once you've won U.S. customers, you do end up with a credibility that you can expand from. That's what we did, right? So we built up U.S. customers in, in the way any startup does, right? You just, you go whatever way you can, right? Whatever customers you can get to meet, you, you take that opportunity. But once you have them and you do a good job for them, then, you know, the challenge becomes building on that. And that's what we did. I think like very early on, we started spending a lot of time in the U.S. as well. And part of that was to try and win the opportunities that we were in the middle of, but also trying to look, looking for the next opportunities. And one thing I did, I suppose, almost religiously was I would book my flights to San Francisco. And a lot of time while I was over there, I would be booking my next trip over. And sometimes I didn't have like a clear idea of what, you know, what my trip was going to look like, what the week was going to look like. But I just found by being there, being in the mix, opportunities ended up presenting themselves. You end up 
getting meeting with an organization that you're keen to talk to, that ends up going well. They end up introducing you to somebody else. And I just found, especially the Bay Area and Silicon Valley, I just found it like hugely energizing to be there. And it probably ended up having us think in a different way as well. And you're, you know, I think it influences your level of ambition. You mentioned at the start, Eric Yuan from Zoom invested in us. That, you know, that came from an introduction over there, a meeting with Eric. Um, and there's, there's a great phrase you know, that I, I always use, but, you know, the world is run by those who turn up. I'm a great believer in that. You have to be there. You have to be in the mix. And some of it is luck and some of it is luck that you end up having because you're in the right place at the right time. But you chose to be there as well. Yeah, a few trips to um, San Francisco, and it, especially at the right time of year, it quite quickly starts to feel like your second home. I certainly know that uh, that feeling. Something else that I'm keen to uh, dig into you is, or dig in with you, is the impact of COVID on your business. I, I assume it's been ex- something of an accelerator, but exactly how has your solution been helping? your clients to cope with the challenges of COVID and, and, and the move to remote working? For us, we've grown three times the size since last year, three times as many customers. So COVID has been good for us. We did have we did have a lot of momentum coming into that to this year. Like we 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 had grown over 200 percent in the previous year as well. So we did have we had a lot of momentum coming into this year. But our platform is about connecting the organization, right? It's an employee communication platform. But, you know, as we discussed earlier, it's it's not about the transactional, right? So you have a lot of kind of messaging platforms out there. You have a lot of noise coming from just productivity tools, right? And we're not about productivity. That's not what we do. Our communication platform is about carrying the bigger message. It's about shaping the culture in the organization. It's about creating that sense of belonging. And that's really what organizations are struggling with. Now, I think if you look at the last 12 months, the first kind of six months post-COVID, there was like a kind of a, a global congratulations where where the world felt like, oh my God, this remote experiment has been a huge success. And but it was successful in terms of productivity. It was it was successful in terms of people being able to get their job done. And then you started to hear the narrative turning where it was like you started to hear about fatigue, you started to hear about burnout. And that's where organizations are struggling. I suppose the reality for organizations now is you can have somebody finish up on a Friday have a new laptop delivered over the weekend and start a new organization with a new organization on Monday, right? They just they click on a different Zoom link for a different meeting on Monday. There's, there's no friction. So the friction in terms of moving has been eroded. And what you're what you're trying to compete on is the emotional commitment people have to the organization. The emotional commitment, the sense of belonging, the belief they have in the purpose of the organization. And that's what our employee communication platform is focused on. And that's that's how we're helping organizations. It's not about the productivity, the messaging. It's about carrying the communication that shapes the culture. And we do that through through our employee communication platform. It looks and feels like a social platform. It typically replaces people's intranets. It's alive and it's 
transparent communication and it's community-led or uh, communication coming from the organization. It's been a good year, but it's I think you know we were lucky enough to have a lot of momentum coming into this year as well. And what are some of the more creative things, creative offerings, creative features you've introduced into your platform to help companies, to help your clients cope with the cultural and employee engagement challenges they're now facing with, um, with remote working? So a couple of the more interesting things we've introduced, and nearly everything we introduce is based on customer feedback, right, and what we're hearing from the market. But so if you imagine our platform, like on your mobile, it almost becomes like your employee app, right? So you're scrolling through your activity feed. And what you're typically going to see are, you know, updates from the CEO, updates from people across the organization, if the good things that are happening, if people are recognizing each other, it might be an employee profile, it could be a video update from a leader, it could be a video update from a project team. And and you see interaction, you see comments, and and there's an energy to it. But over the last six months, 12 months, we've seen, you know, more demand for like the human connection, the the authenticity come from leaders and two things that have been really interesting. One is podcasting, internal podcasting in organizations. So we released internal podcasting in response to demand from customers. And it's been a huge success. And how we've seen it used, and I would never have imagined this, but how we've seen it used is leaders in organizations are doing podcasts that are purely designed for the internal audience in the company. And it's interesting from a number of aspects, right? If you, I mean, all the the research says that if you sit down with an employee as a leader in an organization, if you sit down with an employee and explain to that employee, you know, the purpose of the organization or the values of the organization or the, the, the goals of the organization, if you do that in a one-on-one setting, the likelihood of that employee being completely bought in is dramatically increased, right? That's all well and fine, but how do you do that at scale? And podcasts are a really effective way of doing that at scale because what you're doing as a leader, you're having a chat, you're having a fireside type chat, and an employee gets to drop in on that chat at a time that suits them, maybe when they're out walking or they're having a cup of coffee or they're doing it when it suits them. And they're literally dropping in on the conversation. And it becomes a very personal meeting that you're you're almost involved in. And that's the beauty of podcasts, right? But that becomes like just remarkably effective at people understanding what the organization is about. And you're doing it at scale. So podcasting has been huge. Something else was just like live streaming. We're seeing more and more organizations use live streaming where leaders in organizations, we've always seen them post videos on our platform, just updates, you know, here's what's going on, guys, etc. But the more authentic you can make those updates. And when you do it live, when you just choose to live stream the organization, it's very real. It's like, here's what's going on. I'm here. I'm, you know, I'm outside a customer. We just had a, a great meeting about whatever it is. And and they, we've seen organizations adopt that very strongly as well. And again, it's just, you know, people can connect to it while it's on or they can connect to it afterwards, a recording of it that automatically appears. You know, if you look at those two, two things, the things that they have in common are 
it's that human connection, right? It's that emotional connection. It's not about productivity. Productivity comes from getting the emotional piece right. And yeah, there's just some of the more interesting things, I suppose, that we've seen uh, more recently. Who are some of the entrepreneurs and innovators who've really inspired you and, and kind of shaped your your view of the world? A couple of answers to that, I suppose. Eric from Zoom has been amazing. He's obviously an investor, but he has been just a great friend and supporter of ours as well. And he has asked for nothing in return in terms of, you know, it's just he's interested in helping us. And, you know, it's inspiring what they've achieved at Zoom. But he's got a very, he's just incredibly humble, always seems to do the right thing, obsesses about customers, which I love. And I'm inspired by Eric and what they're doing at Zoom. I suppose I've been lucky enough through my career to work for leaders that have been brilliant, just been, you know, exceptional leaders that I've learned an awful lot from in EMC, in Core HR. And an awful lot of it has been, I've never felt like throughout my career, I've never felt like I've had a boss. You know, I felt like I've had people supporting me. I felt I've had people kind of like encouraging me and yeah it's never felt like work right I've always felt like I'm part of something bigger we're looking to achieve you know a bigger purpose and that's been consistent throughout my career really I've just been really lucky with the people I've worked for in EMC and and in core HR and you know I think that for me has been you know hopefully it's there are things I've taken into my leadership makeup yeah, I suppose people that are probably not as well known, but just have inspired me for different reasons. Well, tell me about your vision for the future. Where will work Vivo be or where would you like it to be come, say, May 2025? A few things, Gary. We, you know, we'd like to think we can make a huge impact in terms of helping organizations, especially as organizations move more and more towards remote work, hybrid work the problem organizations will continue to have in terms of, you know, building that sense of community, belonging, shaping the culture, doing it in a digital world, right? Things, how do you influence the employee experience in the digital world, right? In the physical world, it was all about foosball tables and, you know, fancy offices and, you know, but, but what is it that creates that emotional commitment to the organization in the digital world? And I think we've got a, we've got a huge role to play in that. Where that will take us, we don't know. We want to be an organization, an organization of significance, right? So when somebody thinks about, you know, the great te- technology companies, you know, we want for people to be in the mix of of companies that that always get mentioned. What we don't do, and and we're not fans of, is setting these arbitrary goals around. Oh, we want to be a, a unicorn by this day. We want to. It, that really doesn't motivate us. It's like it feels very just just arbitrary, false. It's like no. It's look like if I think we're focused on just growing, winning great customers, doing a, doing a great job for customers, enjoying the journey. And um, we're very ambitious, but we you know we'll we'll see where it, where it takes us. We're just you know we're focused on just doing the right thing and see see where we get to based on that. Okay. Well, that's uh, great. It's been great listening to your journey so far and your aspirations for the future. 
thank you so much for joining me on the on what was a sunny morning, but I think now I'm rather glad I didn't sit outside uh, as I initially thought, because it's looking rather wet out there. And I wish you and the team a huge success over the next uh, three, four, five years. Super. My pleasure. Thanks, Gary. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.